The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. My name's Eric. Uh, I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and uh, I'm so thankful that you guys are here today. Uh, We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 3 today, and so if you've got your Bibles, you can either uh, turn those on and scroll to the book of John, or you can flip those pages. If you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, uh, I would invite you to raise your hand on up. We got some Bibles there in the back that we can pass out to do. So if you, if you need one, just raise it up. If you don't own a Bible, I want to tell you that that's our gift to you. You can keep that one with you. Um, John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, this morning, I was um, looking on uh, Facebook a little bit. Uh, not that I normally have a habit of that. I would admit to you that maybe I look on it more than I should uh, but uh, I was on Facebook, and, and a, a friend of mine, uh, who is a, is a good friend of mine, uh, is a Green Bay Packers fan. Any Green Bay Packers fans? Okay, one. That's excellent. Uh, I, would say, I, would say, I would say this guy is probably a diehard Green Bay Packers fan. Now, I don't know, ultimately, the Wikipedia definition of a diehard, all right? But he, he kind of he smells like cheese, Right, he 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 wears that green and yellow like like he he loves the Packers and you know it and you see him and so and so he was up last night apparently watching the Green Bay Packers game. Was there a game on last night? Okay, all right. Now now I'm tracking with you. Now uh, there was a game on last night and apparently the game went pretty late. All right, I don't know I don't know the deal, but he was up late and he was watching the game, right? And and he posted this morning about him watching the game. He said, "My daughter stayed up and watched the game with me." All right, and his daughter is like 3 or 4 years old, right in that area, so that's probably pretty late for her. I don't know what time the game went, but it went late. And he says, "My daughter stayed up and watched the game with me, and I learned that they lost the game." Did you know that? You do now, right? Green Bay lost the game last night, apparently. And so he was putting her down to bed, down to sleep. And uh, as he was laying her down to sleep, she looks at her daddy and she says, Daddy, I'm sorry Green Bay lost that game. <laughs> That's sweet, right? Like brings a little tear to your eye. Now, now she's, she's, she's maybe four years old, right? And, um, and I, don't, I don't know if she's a huge Green Bay Packer fan. Right? I don't know if she knows uh, anything about the Green Bay Packers. I don't, I, she could probably recognize the logo somewhere, right? She could probably uh, know the colors. They're green and they're yellow. And so when she sees one of them, she's like, okay, that's a Green Bay Packer fan. Uh, but, but realistically, I don't know if she knows anybody on the team. She knows the quarterback. She knows anything about offense or defense or how the points are scored. She just knows that her daddy likes the Green Bay Packers. So indirectly, she likes the Green Bay Packers. She's a fan, right? Um, how many of you are Cardinal fans? Cardinal fans in here? I'm a Cardinal fan. Not a diehard. I'm a Cardinal fan. Do, do you know why I'm a Cardinal fan? Because I grew up in a culture of Cardinal fans. Same way with the Cubs. Nobody just becomes a Cub fan, by the way. <laughs> All right, you don't, you, don't, you don't live in St. Louis and be like, you know what? I really like the Cubs. No, no, no. You've got to be from there. There's got to be some family that lives there. You've got to have grown up into that culture. And so and the reason why I'm a Cardinal fan is because I grew up in a Cardinal culture, right? All my friends like it. My dad loved it. I watched it. We watch it. You know, that's what we do. We're St. Louis. And so we grow up in that culture. And so we like the Cardinals. I know that for many of us, 
We become fans of Jesus because that's just the culture we live in. And really, we become fans of Jesus because, well, I, from a very young age, my parents loved Jesus or my grandparents loved Jesus or they went to church. And so that's what I just kind of just grew up doing. And, I, and you know what? As, as, a, as a Cardinal fan or as a, a Jesus fan, you know what? I learned some things to say. I could probably give you some right answers, maybe some stats about church or about Jesus. I could probably tell you a little about, about his life, right? And so I grew up in a culture, many of you have grown up in a culture that is about uh, a Jesus. And I know Jesus and I know what it means to be born again because that's a term that's used all across the map. And I grew up in that deal. And so we think that somehow, um, one day, uh, Jesus and the devil are going to enter into the Super Bowl, right? And they're going to fight each other. And if I'm on the right team, then in the end, Jesus is going to win that victory, and then I get to go to heaven with him. So if I'm wearing that, that paraphernalia, if I'm wearing that Jesus thing, right, and when he comes and he wins, then I'm on his team. I'm not on the other team. And if I'm on his team, then I'm, in, I'm good. I'm in. If Jesus and salvation for you is just simply a ticket to heaven, then I would tell you firsthand, you don't know Jesus and you don't know salvation. It's just something that you've learned. John chapter 3 is an is a incredible dialogue between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And it's phenomenal because Jesus brings up a point that says, you have to be born again. Not just on my team, you got to be born again. And I want to really unpack the first couple verses of this text with you today. So if you're there, go ahead and open it up, and I'm going to start reading in John chapter 3 in verse 1. All right, here we go. It says, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, or good teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And we know that no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And verse 3 says, Jesus answered him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, the wind blows where it, where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus is speaking to every one of us in that passage. 
This is not, this is not just a special case uh, for Nicodemus. We see the transaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, but really, he's talking to every one of us. And he, and he looks at us and he says, I want to tell you the truth. That's what truly, truly says. He says, I want to tell you the truth. You and I, Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. That means that you will not be saved. You will not be part of God's family. And you won't enter into eternal life unless you are reborn or born again. Now, that's, that's a scary text. But, but listen, it's not marginal for us. It's critical. It's not just a, a, a fringe thing that we talk about on the side. It is central to who we are as believers. It is central to who we are as Christians to be born again. Because here's the deal. Eternity is at stake. Really eternity at stake. And, and not only eternity, because you're thinking, okay, eternity, that's somewhere down the road. That's somewhere down there someday. But listen, your joy, your real joy is at stake in being born again. Not a, not a temporary joy like you find in stuff. Like real joy is at stake unless you're born again. And, and so let, let, me just, let me just ask you this. Um, how long are you going to live? I don't know. Right? I, I don't know. Uh, hopefully 60, 70 more years, maybe. I, I don't know. How long, how long are you going to have your job for? I don't know. I mean, they could lay me off tomorrow. I don't, I don't know, right? How, how long are you going to have the money that you have in the bank? How long are you going to have that? Some of you are like, I don't have any money in the bank. <laughs> when am I going to get some of that, right? But here, here's the deal. Everything we know is really ultimately temporary. We're talking about eternal things here. I mean, if, you're, if, you think of, if you think of eternity, how long is eternity? It's not a trick question. It's forever. It's forever. And so when we're talking about temporary things, our joy is at stake and eternity is at stake. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I know that that message in this series is going to Create some uneasiness in us. It's going to maybe ruffle our feathers a little bit because Jesus' words are unsettling. They were probably unsettling to Nicodemus, don't you think? I mean, I mean Nicodemus comes and says, hey, hey you're, you're, you're awesome, Jesus. And he looks at him and he says, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you that you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. Now, that's unsettling, and it should be unsettling to us. It should be unsettling if we take the words of Jesus seriously. And I pray that you take the words of Jesus seriously. It's going to be unsettling because if you take the words of Jesus seriously, then it begins to confront us with our hopelessness outside of God. That's what it does. Okay, if I need to be born again, then, then I, am, I, am, I am in a place where I need God. Right? And so we, 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 we want to be in a place where we don't need God. And so it creates some unsettling things for us. And, and, God, and Jesus says, before this new birth happens, you are spiritually dead. You're morally selfish. You're rebellious against God. 
We're legally guilty before God's law. And the Bible says that we are under God's wrath. And so, yeah, when we hear things like, you must be born again, that's a little unsettling, isn't it? Can we be honest with that? When we hear that you must be born again, it leaves us in a hopeless condition apart from the regeneration of God's grace. Jesus tells us, you must be born again. Before we're born again, we're spiritually unresponsive. Before we're born again, we are selfish, uh, selfishly corrupt. Before we're born again, we are completely guilty. And apart from amazing grace, we don't like to hear that about ourselves. And it's not enough to just hear that we need to be born again. But Jesus says, hey, by the way, you don't make that happen. Now, if you weren't unsettled before, now it's starting to get real. You need to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. And by the way, you don't make that happen. Which leaves us in a place of desperate, desperate situation needing God. And so Jesus says, it's like, it's like the wind. Like, you don't make the wind blow. The wind blows where it does, and you see it, you can hear it, you can actually see some effects of it, but you don't, you don't cause the wind to blow. Being born again is something that's done to us, not something that we do. Like in John chapter 1, verse 13, remember when he talks about children of God? He says, the children of God... They're, they're born, not, not, not of, uh, of flesh, not of blood, not of the will of man, but they're born of God. It's, it's, a, it's a reborn of God. 1 Peter 1.3, it says, it says, according to his great mercy, God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He does it. He works it. He, he creates that in us. We do not cause the new birth. God causes the new birth. And when we're born again, we know that it's out of our hands, it's out of our control, which really confronts us with uneasiness because it makes us feel hopeless. And, and as Americans, we don't want to feel hopeless. We don't, wanna, we, we, we don't want to have dependence. You know what I'm talking about? Even as a toddler, how many of you guys have toddlers? Any toddlers out there? Okay, we got some toddlers, all right. I remember when my kids were toddlers. Even as toddlers, they are working and working and working and working and working to create their own independence. Aren't they? Hey, hey, buddy, let me get that. Ah, ah, ah. Mine, right? Uh, hey, let me help you get. Nah, nah, I can do it. I can do it. I got this, right? And you're like, you don't got that. <laughs> There's no way you're getting that. No, I can do it, Dad, right? And so, and so even from a very, very small age, what we do is we work and we work and we work and we work trying to create independence. And we work so hard. We're trying. Listen, really, you guys are trying. I'm trying to get to a place in my life where I don't need God. If I could just figure this whole thing out, I would really like to get to a place where I don't need God. I mean, I got enough money in the bank. I got a good job. I got a, good I got a family. And look, I got it, man. Is that not what we're working for? Is that not what we're striving for? We're trying. We're working so hard to get to a point where we don't need God. And many people don't want to need God. I don't want to need God. I want to be independent. 
That's the rub. That's the war. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. You need to be born again, and you can't get there, which creates us in a marvelous sense of dependence on God. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you must be born again. You don't make yourself born again, and we rely on God. God's decision to make you alive will not be a response to what you do as dead men. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead. You're like Lazarus in the tomb, wrapped up, dead, stanky dead, right? The Bible even says he stinks. Jesus' response is not, is not reacting to what Lazarus does as a dead man. We do what dead men do. We're dead. And so God is not limited by something that you do to make you alive. But we are completely dependent on God breathing like wind into us to make us alive. And I am so hopeful. I am so hopeful that he will do what it says in Ephesians 2. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. I am hopeful that today that we will come alive. God loves to give his life and his grace. So what I want to do over this series is I want to answer the question, how does being born of God or how does being born again happen? All right, that's what I want to try and answer. How does this happen? But today I want to talk about and answer the question, how doesn't it happen? All right, because we need to clear that slate. We need to wipe that board clean. Let's look at how it doesn't happen. So look in John chapter three, starting in verse one again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. You know what a Pharisee is? It's like the elite religious man, the highest of the high that you can get when it comes to religious clout. Wait, he's the, he's the, he's the man. So there's a man, he's a Pharisee, and his name is Nicodemus. And not only is he religious, but he is a ruler of the Jew. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, you must be born again. You must be born again. He makes it clear that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which means the most religious. This guy lived by the book. He has the Torah memorized. You look at him, he probably's got his prayer shawl around him. He's probably uh, in his garments, dressed to the nine, looking how religious you can look, right? He's there. He's morally correct. He tries to do exactly as the book says. He tries to do everything perfect, in line. He's a ruler of the Jews. And verse 3, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so if a person is going to be born of God, he, he's going to see the kingdom, he must be born again. And so Nicodemus comes to him at night and he's like, okay, I know you're a good teacher. I know you're a man of God. You can see that I'm very religious. And Jesus says, if you're going to see the kingdom you need to be born again. He's like, okay, 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 Jesus, all right, I think I'm tracking with you here. Okay, so um, all those sinners out there, 
I'm getting all these sinners out here, all the unrighteous people, all the blasphemers, all the adulterers, all the idolaters, all the liars, all the thieves, all those people out there, okay, okay, let me write that down, must be born again. All, all those people out there who are not doing what I'm doing must be born again. But he's kind of confused because he's like, how do I do that? I mean, mother's womb, that's really gross. But in verse 7, he shifts the conversation and he says, actually, you must be born again. So in verse 3, he says, everyone must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And then he turns to Nicodemus and he says, Nick, bro, you need to be born again. So here's a church leader who's outwardly clean, who knows the right things to say. And Jesus says, you, Pharisee. You need to be born again. Let's just be honest. Don't you think a Pharisee would want to please God? He probably wants to please God. That's why he's a Pharisee. He went through school after school after school after school to become a Pharisee. I mean, deep down, he wants to please God. Deep down, Nicodemus probably spent a lot of time in the temple. Nicodemus probably spent a lot of time at the altar of God. And listen, some of you here today, you come in and you say, I actually have a genuine desire to please God. I have a genuine desire to be in the temple. I want to, some of you, you've come to the altar. You've spent your life in the temple wanting to please God. And Jesus looks right at you and says, you got to be born again. Does that not rock his world right there? I mean, here's a man who probably really wants to please God. So all of Nicodemus's religion, all of his amazing knowledge, all of his time in the temple, all of his time spent on the altar, all of his time wanting to please God, all of his religious discipline, all of his strenuous law-keeping, Jesus looks at him and says, you're not born of God. There's nothing you can do to replace the need to be reborn. And God making you born again has nothing to do with your knowledge. And it has nothing to do with your church attendance. And it really has nothing to do with you genuinely wanting to please God. What Nicodemus needs is the same thing that you and I need. And it's not religious behavior. And it's not to clean ourselves up. What you and I need... And what Nicodemus needs is life. He needs life. He needs, he needs new life. He needs real, sustaining, everlasting life. That's what we need. We need real life. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, isn't Nicodemus alive? I mean, he's there. I mean, he's talking. He's breathing. He probably has a pulse. You probably walked in here and you're checking it. You're like, yep, my heart is beating. I am alive. He's breathing, he's thinking, he's feeling, he's doing those things. Yet Jesus says he's dead. You need to be brought to life. There's no spiritual life in Nicodemus. Spiritually, he's unborn. He's dead, and he needs to be reborn. He needs a new life. Do you know what Jesus says in John 10.10? He says, I have come. 
I have come so that you may have what? Life. Full life. Life to the full. I have come so that you may have life. Let me ask you, who is he talking to? Hey, there's people there, right? I mean, there's people all around. And they're like, oh, man, I'm pretty sure I'm alive. I went to work this morning, right? Come on. I mean, he's talking to people who are there living and breathing. And he says, listen, I have come so that you may have life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the what? Life. I am the life. Apart from me, you don't live. I am the life. And, and do you remember the phenomenal text in Luke chapter 9? Here, here, let me set it up for you. In Luke chapter 9, there's a man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. But before I do, let me go bury uh, my, dad, my, my dad. You remember that? He says, first, before I do that, let me go, let me go bury my dad. And do you remember the phenomenal saying that Jesus says? This is what he says. Listen to this. This will rock your face. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. So apparently, there's people who are physically dead who need burying. And there's people who are spiritually dead who can bury them. Jesus said, there's people that are walking around, going to work, going to church, going to school, who are dead. So being born again doesn't happen through some religious activities or morality because Nick's got all of that. He's got it. He's the poster boy for religion, and he's dead. You and I, we need life, real, supernatural life, spiritual life, new birth. Life comes to you in a way that there's not life there before. Listen, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not you praying a prayer and then just trying harder and working better. It's not you praying a prayer and then starting doing some church-like things. It's life that wasn't there before. It's a new creation. It's a new life. God can save anybody. Because, listen, if it's not by works that we're saved, and it's only by a work of God, it means that God can save anybody, anywhere, at any point in their life. That the wind can blow on the wickedest of the wicked. He, he, can, he can save. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your behaviors. It doesn't matter your current struggles. It doesn't matter how you walked into this place. God can. God wants to. And God can give you real supernatural life. Not just a simple pulse. He wants to do that. In other words, listen, in verse 2, he says, he says, Rabbi, I know that you're a good teacher. And you've come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And so listen, listen, listen. It doesn't matter your religious behavior, your moral behavior, 
your church attendance or your religious experience, and it also doesn't matter the words that you say. So how is one born again? Well, it's not born again through religious activity, and it's not through being a good boy or a good girl. And listen, it's not even through the words you say. In other words, Nicodemus sees Jesus, a genuine, God-like activity, and he admits that Jesus is from God. Do you see it there in verse 2? He says, he says, I'm affirming you are absolutely from God. I'm affirming that you, you absolutely are a good teacher. He admits that Jesus is from God. He admits that Jesus is, does the works of God. And, and Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, wow, Nick, you nailed it. You're right. I am from God, right? And I teach from God, and I do things, and my power comes from God. And he doesn't look at Nick and say, man, I wish everyone would acknowledge me the way that you acknowledge me. I wish everyone would affirm that in me. I wish everyone would look at me and say, wow, you're a godly teacher. God, you are a godly man. You work miracles. He doesn't say that. He says, I tell you the truth, you need to be born again. Seeing signs and wonders and being amazed by Jesus' power and being amazed by Jesus' authority, and being amazed by Jesus' teaching, even affirming Jesus is God, and even affirming that he has the power to save, ultimately saves nobody. Nicodemus does not walk away born again. Now I know that you're like, oh my, what, what, that, what is that doing to my theology right now? Right? And so here's the deal. You, you can be amazed by God's power and not be born again. That's one of the greatest dangers we face. You don't need a new heart to be amazed by Jesus. You don't. You don't, you don't need to be born again to affirm the deity of Christ. You don't need to be born again to affirm the power of Christ, right? My old, sinful, fallen nature, before I was born again, I would look at Jesus and say, wow, that guy's awesome, I would look at Jesus and say, man, he's got some good teaching. I would look, before I was born again, I don't need to be born again to be amazed by Jesus. Do you remember that Jesus feeds 5,000 people? Right? Remember that? He takes a fish and a cracker lunchable, and he feeds 5,000 people. All of those people are amazed. Oh, Look at this guy. What is this guy? This is, this is incredible. I am amazed by him. He's got power. He's got supernatural power. He's got the ability to feed people. He's got the ability to raise the dead. He's got the ability to do things. Man, this is awesome. This guy is it. 5,000 people. Thousands came and affirmed him. Thousands marveled at him. Thousands spoke to him face to face. Jesus talked face to face with Nicodemus. Some even shouted Hosanna. You know what Hosanna is? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word of praise and rejoicing. Thousands of people even praised Jesus. You don't need to be born again to say, Hosanna! That dude is awesome! You don't need to be born again to do that. Your old, fallen, dead nature can affirm that Jesus is from God. And even before you're born again, you can affirm his teaching. 
People will praise him as he rides in on the donkey. Wow, that Jesus, he is awesome. The devil himself knows that Jesus is powerful. The devil himself knows that God is powerful. Look in, look in Mark chapter 1. I've got to show you this. This is, this is phenomenal. Mark chapter 1. If you got your Bibles, it's just to the left, so it's backwards a little bit. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went to Calpurnium, which is a city or a town, and immediately on the Sabbath, which is the holy day, it's like a Sunday, it was the Sabbath day, so your a day of rest is a, God, a day that God set up for people to be restful. He says, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, there's probably a lot, a lot of people there. Verse 22. And as Jesus was teaching, they were astonished at his teaching. Whoa, this guy. For he taught them as one who had authority. And not like the scribes, not like the other teachers. And immediately... There was in a synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So, so there's a man who's demon-possessed, who has an unclean spirit, and he comes in, and he knows exactly who Jesus is. He says, Oh, you're Jesus of Nazareth. What are you doing here? Are you going to come to destroy us? He recognizes Jesus' power and authority to rule out any darkness or any demons, anything unclean. He says, are you here to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all what? That was awesome. Did you see that? They were all amazed. They were all amazed. Oh my gosh, what is this? What is going on? So they questioned among themselves, what is this? What was that? What is this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his, what's that word? Fame. Spread, look at how awesome Jesus is. Hosanna. Jesus says, oh, but you must be born again. Affirming Jesus is powerful. Affirming Jesus is a miracle worker. Affirming Jesus is a marvelous teacher. Affirming that Jesus is sent by God. Seeing Jesus as the one who saves is not the key to the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. In other words, what matters is not merely affirming the saving power of Jesus, but experiencing that power within yourself. That's the difference. Have you experienced the saving power of the Spirit blowing on you like the wind and bringing you to life? We don't experience this in a natural way. We experience this in a supernatural way. God the Holy Spirit comes upon you and brings new life into existence, a life that wasn't there before. He gives you new life. Listen to verse 6. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, 
and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The Spirit is not a part of this natural world. He's not part of the flesh. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and God causes the new birth. God, the Holy Spirit, makes us born again. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who brings us into unity with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means when the Spirit blows on you. You are united with Christ through the Spirit. In the new birth, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ in a living union, union with God himself. Christ is life. Jesus Christ is the vine, and we're the branches. Apart from him, we do nothing. He is the vine. He is the life. And from our side, from from this side, looking to God, the way that we experience this new birth is that faith in Jesus is awakened into our hearts. It's like our souls are awakened into spiritual life. Faith in Jesus brings us together. The new life that comes from the Spirit is uniting us to Jesus. Unites us to Jesus and makes faith possible. Faith is the result of waking up. Waking up to believe spiritual life always awakens faith. Faith in Jesus is the expression of being born of God. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. He means in this new birth, the Holy Spirit blows like the wind. He blows like the wind into our dead souls and gives us new spiritual life by connecting us with Jesus Christ that brings faith. For Jesus is life. Look at verse 3 and 36 in John 3. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. New birth comes to us not through religious behaviors, not through affirming words about Jesus, but rather through the Spirit connecting us with Jesus that results in faith. As the band comes, I want to close with Romans chapter 10. Many of you know it. Many of you don't. I want you to hear it new today. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near to you, in your mouth, and in your heart. The word... It comes alive in your heart. The Spirit comes and wakes you up. What does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, many do that, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. You know, Jesus had to go to the cross to atone for our sins. Jesus shows her miraculous power over death by raising to life on the third day. 
And if you believe that was done on your behalf for you so that you can enter in, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm asking you today, have you been born again? Have you just simply affirmed teaching or acknowledged his power? Or have you truly experienced new life? Have you truly experienced the spirit blowing on your soul says, wake up. Wake up. Will you wake up? I believe God wants to do that. For those of you who maybe have been in church for a long time or maybe you haven't, I've prayed this week that the Spirit would blow on us so that there would be new life. I know that there can be new life. And when the Spirit blows on us and says to my heart, come awake, I confess, I believe, and I know He wants to do that for some of you. Let's pray for it. Lord Jesus, I don't want to just affirm your power of salvation. I desire to experience it fresh and new today. Will you blow? God the Spirit, blow. Fall upon us. Fall upon me today. Bring me to life, oh God. Bring me to life. I need you, Lord. I'm going to ask you just right where you sit and right where you are to, to ask God to wake you up. If you're sitting here feeling spiritually dead and not, not really knowing the power of God that brings the dead to life, I'm going to ask you to pray for that in your own way right now, right where you're set. in the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. 
Jesus, as you awaken our souls today. Let us respond by faith. Faith that we can trust you and walk with you and know you. May our joy be complete in the fact that you raise the dead to life. Oh, we love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.